This podcast is brought to you by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency? Go to GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O.com. Hello, and welcome to Daily Drive. It's Thursday, February 3rd, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. Automakers are pouring billions into developing and building electric vehicles, but is there a growing backlash against the technology? More on that later. First, let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. A storm is brewing in the supply base after Stellantis made changes to its purchase order terms and conditions for 2022. Attorneys who have analyzed the new language say there's a new rule in place in North America. The automaker is requiring suppliers to immediately pass on cost savings they achieve to Stellantis, but the lawyers say there's no corresponding provision for a supplier to pass along cost increases to Stellantis. The automaker has also added provisions that expand its ability to prolong the life of a contract. An executive at one significant supplier to Stellantis said the updated terms and conditions make suppliers' liability, quote, potentially unlimited. The changes took effect January 1st, nearly a year after Stellantis was formed by the merger of Fiat Chrysler Automobiles and PSA Group. Stellantis declined to comment this week. Tesla is facing another discrimination lawsuit. Kayleen Barker, a black lesbian who worked at a Tesla factory, says the automaker ignores discrimination based on race, gender, and sexual orientation. Barker was a contract worker who inspected brake parts at a California subassembly plant. In her lawsuit, the 25-year-old alleges that a white coworker struck her with a hot grinding tool while calling her the N-word and other derogatory terms. According to the suit filed in Alameda County, that coworker was fired, but then rehired two weeks later. Barker claims she was fired on October 29th last year after lodging complaints to supervisors. You may recall in mid-October, Tesla was ordered to pay a former black worker $137 million over racial abuse. Since then, several other workers have come forward to file similar complaints. Turning to the U.S. light vehicle market, we know what we know about January. The seasonally adjusted annualized rate of sales came in at 15.2 million. That's near the high end of the forecast for the month. It is down a bit from the 16.8 million pace a year earlier, but it's the strongest monthly SAR reading since June. Among the companies reporting monthly, Ford was the last, releasing its results yesterday. Ford says January overall was flat. Ford brand sales ticked up 1.4% and Lincoln plummeted 26%. In Mexico, an independent labor union supported by international activists has won a vote to represent workers at a General Motors plant. Mexico's Federal Labor Center says the union, Cintia, beat three other rivals by a wide margin. Workers at the truck plant in Salau voted to dissolve their contract with the previous union last year. Factory News stateside, Kia has begun production of the redesigned 2023 Sportage at the automaker's West Point, Georgia plant this week. It is the first time the compact crossover has been assembled in the U.S. The outgoing fourth-generation model 
was Kia's best-selling crossover last year. And that's the news you need to know. With automakers pursuing an EV revolution, many questions arise. Who's going to buy those vehicles? Who might be unlikely to do so? And how do they want to shop? We'll get some insights after this. Listen to Fred Hayes, service manager at Temecula Valley Buick GMC, and Philip Candido, fixed operations director, talk about their experience with GoMoto in their service drive. Before GoMoto, the backups in the service lane were due to not being able to get to the customer in a, in a timely manner. There's times where menus are passed over where the advisor forgets to tell them, hey, it needs its major service. And now with the GoMoto, customers are presented with a maintenance package every time. The time freed up from not having the customer sitting in front of them every single time they come in. It helps them be more efficient. It helps them focus more on the customer's concern and the, the maintenance and service of the vehicle. Before GoMoto, we would average approximately 130000 in service gross. The kiosk and the service drive doubled the gross profit in the dealership. It's amazing, 100%. Using the GoMoto kiosk makes the dealership more profitable. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency just like Temecula Valley? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O.com. As the auto industry looks to sell electric vehicles to a mass market, not just early adopting technophiles and environmentalists, it's going to need to approach those more mainstream customers differently. While Tesla has dominated EV sales, Mike DeVorne at market research firm Escalant says that Elon Musk's online-only approach isn't the best fit for most buyers. His sweeping survey also found growing resistance to electric vehicles from a particular type of new car buyer in these politically divided times. I reached him in Southern California. Mike Dvorny, welcome to Daily Drive. Well, thanks so much, Jamie. It's a pleasure to be on. So you are the vice president for automotive at Escalant. You have clients including GM, Stellantis, and Toyota. But for listeners who aren't familiar, can you give us a little description of Escalant and, and really more importantly, explain the EV forward study that you have that, that focuses on future buyers of EVs? Happy to do so. So at Escalant, our job is really to understand what it is that consumers want and then help companies that are trying to shape future products essentially make that, that product and, and understand what strategies need to be successful. EV Forward is essentially something that we developed to really try to understand the next generation of electric vehicle buyers. And the reason that that was so important is that we found over time <clears throat> that uh, we were really struggling, you know, the, as an industry with trying to learn from talking to EV owners, because ultimately people who were early adopters of EVs look and behave quite differently from the people who have essentially not been willing to compromise and go buy an EV. Uh, so EV Ford is really about trying to find and talk to these next electric vehicle owners 
and ultimately understand what what it is that they want and what it what's going to take for them to buy. Does uh, a lot of that, I mean, you think about, like you said, you mentioned the compromises that early adopters were willing to make. You know, you've got very small vehicles like the, the Bolt and the Leaf, uh, you know, with some sort of limited range. Of course, Tesla had the Roadster and the Model S, which had longer range, but were very expensive. I mean, the Model S uh, typically, you know, sold for $100,000 or more, especially in its early years. And now, of course, we've seen in the overall market, right? People prefer pickups. They like crossovers and SUVs, something you can fit, you know, the whole family in and, and go for a, a drive or at least be able to go to the store and buy a bunch of stuff uh, <laughs> and bring it home. So what do you, what, uh, but now we're starting to see some of those kinds of vehicles enter the EV market. And is the, are the buyers changing already? They really are. You know, we've, we've witnessed it over the last few years. Because effectively, you know, we've seen as new vehicles have hit the marketplace, it's not so much current EV owners um, of, of whom, you know, there haven't been that many who then go leave whatever they had and buy these new vehicles. They're pulling new vehicle, new vehicle owners into the marketplace. And so it really is this difference in who's getting attracted. And, you know, I don't need to tell anyone. You look at, say, your average Chevy Bolt owner. And you look at some of the Chevy, you know, the Chevy pickup truck that's coming, it's going to be electrified. It's not the same buyer. Um, it really attracts different people. And so in many ways, it's key if you're going to have successful strategies to make sure that you're talking to the right people who generally aren't battery electric vehicle owners, but are people who, for instance, are truck owners who ultimately are pretty open to the idea of EVs. And, and when you take that different perspective, you walk away with some pretty different conclusions than if your approach is just to talk to people who already bought EVs. Uh, can you give us an example? Uh, absolutely. So, you know, following on that example with, uh, with pickup truck buyers, for instance, um, you know, we find that in many ways, the, if you talk to electric vehicle owners about pickup trucks, they'll tell you that they want different things, um, you know, that they don't necessarily need as much of the capability that a pickup truck has. Because um, in many cases, these early EV buyers, as we talked about, you know, they had limited vehicle availability. So in, in many cases, their desire to own an EV allowed them to say, well, okay, this may not be the perfect vehicle for me, but I'm going to sort of shape some of my usage around it. And when we talk to these buyers um, that we've identified of these next electric vehicle pickups, that's one of the key differences. They don't want to compromise. They don't want to give anything up. Um, and they're willing to wait. In a lot of cases, the early EV buyers, their excitement for EV uh, led them to essentially say, I don't want to sit on the sidelines and wait. I'd like to jump in and, and experience this. Whereas these later buyers, they're quite content. In many cases, they've been sitting on the sidelines. And so if product comes that doesn't really resonate with them, they'll keep waiting um, and waiting and waiting. And so Understanding those differences really drives some, you know, different strategies that we find in the development of these vehicles. What about in the uh, retail process of, because you do some work for NADA, I think serving the National Automobile Dealers Association, I think surveying its members, but your EV forward study, which again, NADA has nothing to do with, <laughs> it did find some hopeful news for dealers and some surprising news really. It really did. You know, in a lot of cases, what we try to do with the EV forward work is to address basically some uh, 
you know, ideas that happen to be pervasive in our industry. You know, the, for instance, Tesla has been successful, therefore we should copy everything Tesla does. In many cases, what we do is say, hey, look, let's validate those ideas with these people who are actually going to buy the vehicles. Uh, and so we did, we took on as part of EV4, we said, look, we keep talking with OEMs that say that the approach has to be uh, the Tesla approach of selling vehicles. It's going to be you know, more direct to consumer. There's many parts of it that are virtual. And we said, let's talk to the consumers and see what they want. And so ultimately, when we talked to this next generation of electric vehicle buyers, they told us that they want much more of an in-person experience. They want one that does center around the dealer. Um, essentially, what we did is we had them respond to the Tesla concept without the name. We sort of put all the elements in front of them, didn't tell them it was Tesla and said, hey, would you like this approach or would you like the approach that you're used to? And overwhelmingly, they said, look, um, we don't want that other model, which is the Tesla model. Um, when it comes to buying vehicles, we want to kick the tires, um, particularly given that this is new technology. Uh, the idea of not experiencing it in person really didn't resonate with them well. Um, now, that said, it didn't it, it wasn't a ringing endorsement that the exact way vehicles are traditionally bought and sold is what is their ideal. Um, there are parts of it that they are increasingly open to online, including doing some research, maybe arranging financing. But as you get closer to the actual purchase of the vehicle, um, that's where these next electric vehicle buyers really do look more like a traditional mainstream buyer today in the sense that they want the dealers to be a key part of that process. That's interesting. And yeah, where you ended uh, feels exactly right to me. It's it's where consumers are today. They want to do more online than maybe they did 10 years ago or two years ago. Uh, but when you're going to spend 30, 40, 50, 60,000 dollars on a vehicle, especially with new technology, you kind of want to put your hands on it uh, before it's in your driveway and you're signing <laughs> signing that uh, on the line that is dotted. Well, that's exactly right. And by the way, um, we also couldn't help ourselves when we did that study, we had a bunch of Tesla owners go through and we had them respond to the Tesla approach. And what we found was not surprising given that we do talk to thousands of Tesla owners a year, but the Tesla approach isn't ideal for them. You know, generally, if you call it the Tesla approach, they'll say, oh, absolutely. I can't imagine anything different. When you break down the elements, there are parts of it. For instance, the fact that with a Tesla, you have to schedule service appointments online. You cannot just pick up a phone or go see someone in person that even Tesla owners really don't like. So by no means has Tesla figured out the ideal way to you know, sell vehicles and have them serviced. Very interesting. So another interesting thing you found on a, on a different topic, I guess uh, it's a, there's a little similarity in that uh, Tesla fans are very tribal. Uh, they identify so closely with the brand, whether they're uh, you know, drivers or investors or often, in often cases, both. Uh, but we have this uh, political tribalism in America right now. And you found some actually some erosion in EV support that's very seems to be political. Yeah. It, so for the first time ever, we've, we've been doing research around EVs for well over a decade now, but the EV forward study is in its third year. And it was the first time that when we looked at this really kind of broad audience across the United States, that we actually saw a decline overall in interest in EV. And basically what played out is we talked to 
10,000 people, new car buyers, uh, you know, earlier in the year. And then essentially we came back to them six months later and said, hey, where are you at now in terms of battery electric vehicles? And uh, for that first time, it was actually a decline. And so we dug into that further. And ultimately what we found is that the biggest difference that really explained why there was this overall decline in interest in EVs uh, could be best explained by the political views of the people that we spoke to. Um, so when we looked at people who lean more to the left, uh, they had unchanged views in terms of battery electric vehicles, pretty positive um, you know, and quite consistent. It was essentially all on the more conservative end of the spectrum where we, we saw basically an increasing politicization of EVs, you know, a sense that, um, you know, they are particularly as in the news, there's discussion about uh, big infrastructure investments related to electric vehicle chargers, um, that there's been a bit of a thread that's picked up that, hey, um, you know, I don't think EVs are for me. I don't think that they're for my tribe, for instance. And uh, so it's something that we're going to continue to monitor, but uh, was definitely a bit of a surprise for us in the data. I wonder if the, you know, of course, the infrastructure bill was a rare act of bipartisanship in Congress <laughs> that put seven and a half billion toward EV charging. But the Build Back Better plan, uh, which was a, a bigger ticket item and did not have bipartisan support and did not even have full Democratic support in the Senate, had this controversial clause about um, a way to, you know, incentivize EV sales uh, with a tax credit, but one that really greatly favored uh, UAW built vehicles. I know it, it came up in West Virginia where Democratic Senator Joe Manchin, I mean, he was really the, the decider keeping that plan from uh, advancing in the Senate. Uh, but I'm sure a lot of folks in Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky were also um, displeased by the idea <laughs> that the, the union workers in, in the North uh, would be getting this kind of big advantage. I wonder if, if that could have played into it. You know, or we have we actually precede this most recent this most recent round of legislation. We have actually seen, you know, in the work that we do with consumers, elements of that coming up. Uh, so, for instance, you know, we talk about the, you know, the, some of the states that you mentioned. These are states where there are production facilities. There are EVs that are getting made. There are EVs that are in the pipeline that are going to be built there. So, you know, that aspect of it really does speak to, at this point, EVs can't be a kind of a political tool. They can't just serve. Um, part of the political spectrum because it does impact so many people's lives. So really what we find is to the extent the messaging around EVs um, are those things that have bipartisan support. Like, look, there's a lot of jobs in this. This is about making sure that the United States stays relevant in terms of the technology it's producing and, and where it's getting produced. That is pretty broad appeal. Uh, but when you start narrowing down and saying, well, you know, but there's huge aspects of it that maybe serve one party or kind of its interest better than the others, that becomes sort of a dangerous third rail with something as big as electric vehicles, because yes, you can start see it starting to get positioned as, well, that's for that side of the spectrum, not for mine, therefore I don't want to support it. And you had said that the, the nature of the opposition was to consider it a, a fad or just a dumb idea. 
Exactly. Yeah. When we get responses from consumers, um, we had sort of in the, uh, you know, kind of among the group that had a souring view on electric vehicles in this last wave of the survey, um, that's what we saw was that people that were saying either, look, it's a fad or, you know, I don't believe in climate change. And I think that's what EVs are about. So I think it's just, it's a stupid idea. Um, you know, I don't want to get on board with it, no matter what the benefits are. It's interesting that that perception, you know, would have increased, uh, you know, if you didn't believe in climate change, you, you also didn't believe that a year ago. <laughs> so, but it's uh, it's really a fascinating development. I um, think it's great that you found that. I'm happy to share it. It's definitely something we continue to monitor and it's an interesting space. I mean, it has huge impacts we see in the news every day of you know, the amount of investments that are going into this space, the new product that's coming. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, if the consumer looks at it and doesn't really you know, find the, the product attractive or has issues with how it's kind of positioned in their minds or in the marketplace, that's gonna be one of those key things that you know, is, affects that inflection point and is really gonna affect electric vehicles getting adopted in mass. Well, I don't know if it makes it a dumb idea, but currently, I mean, they are just, they are not as economical, uh, but if they get to the point where they, there are no compromises and you have a, a better vehicle for the same price, everyone's going to want it. It is something that in our research, we found that, you know, when we talked to, for instance, EV owners, what ultimately got them to buy the vehicle, the single biggest thing by far was when they first got to drive it. You know, they drove it and whether it was a Tesla or it was a Chevy Bolt, it excited them and they, they purchased the vehicle. And so really getting people exposed to EVs and getting them to drive them is key. It's one of the reasons why in our, our study about dealers, we highlighted that, you know, it's an area where we think OEMs and dealers can work together well is, you know, get people actually get their butts in the seats and, and let them experience them more often than not. When we talk to consumers and say, you know, was your experience driving that EV more or less positive than driving a traditional gasoline vehicle? They say it was more positive. That said, our latest research also highlighted that there is a group that we need to be aware of that with greater exposure to EVs, they are actually not liking them. They're, they're actually getting more negative. So I do think we need to be aware that while there is sort of this kind of positive momentum towards EV, there are going to be groups um, that just they are going to resist. And the more that they know or learn, the more they're going to resist. It's just how it is. Mike DuVernay, great insights. Thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to, to be on. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. When you need the latest news on electric vehicles or anything happening in the auto industry, type in autonews.com. Thanks to Josh Freed for his editing today's show. Thanks to the ANTV team and web editor Victor Galvan for their support. And thanks to you for listening. Now, let's get back to work. <laughs>